0: hey good morning everyone welcome hey if you're visiting with us today we're just so glad uh that you chose to be here with us this morning we've been actually praying for you that god would do something really awesome in your own heart in your own mind and in your own life for all of you really as you've been uh, come in this morning so hey we're in a series and um we're talking about different values and we're actually going to talk about today's value Uh, a couple of weeks, we're going to do a deep dive this morning in a particular word. I want us to, it's a powerful word, it's a potent word, but it's a word that you and I don't use much, especially as we're out and about in the world. Um, And so I want us to really think uh, deeply about this word. And it's a word that is actually used over and over and over again. To refer to the people who were part of the original Jesus movement, and it's not the term you're thinking of. See, when many of us think of people who follow Jesus, we immediately think of the word Christian. But it may surprise some of you to know that Christian was not a word that was used to describe a follower of Jesus out of the gate. In fact, check out Acts 11, verse 26. Let's look at that together. Acts 11, 26 says this. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So see, uh, when Paul was in Antioch, that was almost a full decade uh, after Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected in 3380. AD. So for the first 10 years of this movement that you and I call Christianity, they didn't call it Christianity at all. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were known as a disciple. They thought of themselves as disciples. They thought of other people as disciples. The word Christian wasn't even a thing until almost 10 years after uh, jesus died and i just want to kind of show you this so look at Acts 6 for an as an example acts chapter 6 says and the word of god continued to increase and the number of what not christians the number of what disciples multiplied greatly. See, they thought of themselves as disciples. Check out Acts chapter 9. Uh, This is uh, very interesting. It's about the Apostle Paul. Many of you know his story. The Apostle Paul was a violent persecutor of the church. He was an antagonist to Christianity. He tried to have Christians uh, killed, imprisoned, thrown in jail, right? And then he became a disciple, and so, in fact, it says when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, right? Not to join the Christians, but to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, rightly so, right? I mean, this was a guy who, who was known around the, around the world, right, as a persecutor of Christians. And so it says they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a what? Not a Christian, but that he was a disciple, Of Jesus, now um, one of the the value that we're going to talk about the next two weeks is this: it's the value of intentional discipleship. And today we're going to kind of do a high flyover uh, and really dig down deep into this word "disciple" and think together about what it means to be disciples and how to do discipleship. And then next week. We're going to look at why it's so vital that as disciples we dig these deep spiritual wells together. Uh, And the other thing we're going to do is we're going to we're going to ask the question: Okay, if we're disciples of Jesus, right? If that's the call, then how do we recognize? How do we know when somebody's arrived or getting there, or at least getting close? In other words, what kind of people are we trying to produce? at Shelbyville Community Church, right? Now, uh, the word disciple uh, can mean uh, the following things, right? It can mean an apprentice, a learner, a student, a pupil, a follower, an adherent. So a disciple is someone who's learning from someone else. In this case, the disciples are disciples because they're followers or they're learners or they're students or they're apprentices of jesus right so he's the master they are the apprentice and we talk about this uh, verse every time that we talk about discipleship around here today is no different but we're going to think about it a little bit differently matthew 419 we believe So it's both the call to discipleship and the definition of discipleship. And here's what it says. Uh, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now what we sometimes miss when we're reading through the Gospels is we miss the fact that Jesus, when he makes a statement like this, he's making a statement like this as a Jewish rabbi. Uh, And a rabbi was a teacher. Uh, the word rabbi means teacher. This is uh, the, the words translated in your New Testament. Whenever you see the word teacher, they're saying rabbi. And so as a rabbi, Jesus was asking them to follow him. And inherent in the call to follow him is the call to learn from him. In other words, a disciple is someone that wants to be like their teacher. They want to to talk like Him. They want to think like Him. They want to act like Him. Wherever He goes, that's where they want to go. Wherever He is, that's where they want to be and who they want to be with. So a disciple is someone who's following Jesus. In other words, a disciple is someone who's accepted Jesus as their teacher. They've not just trusted Christ for eternity. They don't believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about only when he speaks about eternity. They know and believe that whatever Jesus is talking about, he knows what he's talking about. That he is the ultimate authority, not just on death, but also on life and everything that comes with life. So, so as Jesus issues this invitation as a rabbi, follow me, what he's really saying is learn from me, be surrendered to me, talk like me, think like me, act like me, be like me, be with me. Uh, so that's the first piece, right? Follow me. Uh, and then it says, and I will make you. So we believe around here that if we are disciples, if we are apprentices of Jesus... That He is making us something. That He is taking us somewhere. That He's making us better husbands. Better wives. That He's making us better teachers. That He's making us better employers. That He's making us better employees. That He's giving us wisdom. That He's making us wiser. That we are becoming more tomorrow than we are today. This is the journey Of discipleship, right? That we are being made into the likeness of our rabbi, of our Jesus. That we are beginning to look like Him, act like Him, think like Him, talk like Him as we are with Him more and more and more. And then finally, the call to to discipleship uh, also tells us not only is He making us into more, not only is He transforming us and shaping us, but He's also... uh, calling us to be on mission with him he's making us fishers of men in other words we're called to tell a bigger story with our lives than just our our small temporal story that we're called to tell the story of jesus and the intersection of his story with ours and we're called to be on mission with him and for him every single day so a disciple is someone who is an apprentice of jesus who's learning from Him every single day, who's being shaped and changed by Him every day, and finally, who's on mission with Him every single day. This is what we would say a disciple is, right? Which leads to a disturbing question. Are we disciples? Are are, are you a disciple? Are you allowing Jesus to guide you and lead you every day? Or are you just a Christian? And there's a difference. And I want to show you that difference right now. Now, a Christian, uh, as I think most of us in the room would agree, right? That a Christian is someone who's uh, embraced a message, right? And the message is that, hey... let's just talk about this personally just everybody in the room okay so uh everybody in the room right at uh, at some point you came to the realization probably at least most of you that there was a gap that existed between you and between god right and uh, and that that gap existed and that whenever you approach god there were emotions like guilt and shame. In other words, you had this idea that you were a sinner and that that sin had created this barrier or this gap that existed between you and God. And a Christian is someone who comes to believe that you, that, you know, you can't bridge that gap, right? You can't bridge it through your own human effort, that it's only through the grace of God, only through Christ, right, can that gap be bridged between me and God. This is the message of Christianity. We call this the good news, that that Christ was punished so that we could be pardoned. He took the death penalty on himself that you and I deserved. He died the death we should have died because of our sin so that we could receive the pardon and the life of God. He died to God so that we could live to God. See, so we believe that, that the gap is bridged right through Christ and Christ alone. This is the gospel. This is, so when somebody says, hey, I've said yes to Jesus, I've said, you know, so Jesus has forgiven my sin, we would call that person a Christian, right? Uh, because a Christian believes that it's only through Christ that we can have a relationship with God through Christ, and Christ alone. In other words, if you take Christ out of the equation, there's no other way to bridge this gap. We can't do it through our own effort. We can't do it through our own uh, just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It has to be Jesus. Uh, And so that's what makes somebody a Christian, right? Now, I want to talk about a different kind of gap. So let's say that you become a Christian. You say yes to Jesus, yes to his forgiveness. You admit that you're a sinner, that he died for your sins, was buried and then raised again, and you become a Christian. You embrace that new message. What's going to happen could be a day later, could be a week later, could be a month later, but at some point you're going to notice that there's another kind of gap. Um, It's a little different kind of gap, and this is the gap between what I would call the current you and the imagined you. The you that you are and maybe the you that you want to be. Because as you begin to get involved in God's family, you're going to bump up against some amazing people who are further along in their journey than you, right? You're going to bump into people and you're going to go, man, how did their marriage, I mean, get so good? There's just a gap between the marriage I have and the marriage that I want to have, right? How did they? How did they bridge that gap? Or you're gonna you're gonna meet men and women, and they're gonna know uh, scripture and have a command of scripture, or at least seem to have a command of scripture. And you're gonna think, man, how did that happen? I mean, man, I wish you know. And, and maybe the gap for you is this big or this big. I mean, the gap can be different for uh, everybody, right? But there's this gap between you know, the you that you are and then the you that you want to be or the, the you that uh, the imagine you or the you that God says that you are, right? And so uh, people have all kinds of different responses um, to this gap. Now, let me ask you a question. Remember, we said that uh, when someone, uh, the gap between you and God, right, when that gap gets bridged, it's only through Christ and it is not through human effort, right? In other words, there's nothing we can do. We have to trust Christ and Him alone. So, how do you think the gap gets bridged uh, in, this, uh, in this kind of gap? In other words, can you bridge this gap through your own self effort? And the answer to that question would be no way. No, you. Cannot, but I am amazed at how often I try and how often I see other people try to bridge this gap, and it results on their own efforts. Right? This gap between the current you and the you that you want to be or the imagine you. And so people have all these strategies that they try. And I want to walk through some of these. The first thing that people do when they realize they can't bridge that gap through human effort is they just fake it. They just pretend. You know, they pretend to be holier than they really are. They pretend to have it more together than they really do. They just fake it. And, and here's what we would say to that. That never works. It doesn't work. But there's kind of another response that people have when they try to bridge that gap. They just try to work it. They just, they just say, you know what? I'm going to see this through. I'm going to become that better version of me no matter what. And I just won't give up. And I'll get there through self-discipline and sheer determination. Friends, and this response always results in frustration and despair. And so like faking it this just doesn't work either. But then people don't give up. So then they go, well, you know, hey, I faked it and I've worked it, so maybe I'll switch it. I'll just look for a different venue. Maybe I need a new job. Maybe I need a new marriage. Maybe I need a new church. Right? Maybe maybe the my failure to get from the uh, current me to the imagine me is my church's fault. I mean, my pastor, maybe he's just not feeding me. So I'm going to go to a new church or I'm going to move to a new city and I'm going to start all over again. And people like this usually bump from church to church to church to church. But the solution is I'm going to switch it and it doesn't work either because funny thing, whatever church they go to, there they are, right? And that doesn't fix the problem and so then finally the last thing people kind of resort to and what they do is they just say you know what this this Christianity thing seems to be working for everybody else but it doesn't work for me so I'm going to drop out I'm going to give up because the gap between who I really am and who God says I am or who I really want to be is just too big and I'm tired of faking it I know I can't work it, so I'm just going to quit. And they just kind of give up. They just kind of drop out and they walk away. And guess what? That one doesn't work either. Listen, folks, this is where discipleship comes in. We believe that the only way to bridge the gap between the current you and the imagined you is still just Jesus that it's only through His power, His grace, His strength, His might, His continued guidance, His continued leadership, that it's only through being a follower of Jesus that we move from the current you to the new you, the imagined you, the you that God says that you are the better version of you you might say you 2.0 or you 3.0 right but that you the only way to move from here to there is a journey called discipleship you become a learner you become an apprentice you become a student of Jesus in other words a disciple is someone that believes that Jesus was right, not just when He talked about eternity or death, but that Jesus is right about everything. That He knows about everything. And so when He speaks into my marriage, I will obey Him. When He speaks in how to parent, or His Word speaks into those things, I will do that. The answer will be yes, because Jesus knows. He knows, He knows, He knows, He knows. And there's no one else, there's no one else that knows what Jesus knows. So I will follow him and him alone, right? So important that we kind of understand this. Uh, So important that we uh, rely on him, that we follow him to bridge this kind of gap, right? Right? So following Jesus bridges the gap between the current you and the imagined you. Um, You know, in other words, it bridges the gap between the you that you want to be and the you that you see when you look in the mirror. All right, so let's look at the call then to be a disciple. Let's check out Matthew 28. I want to show you this. Matthew 28 says this. Jesus came and said to them, by the way, this was after his resurrection. So Jesus has suffered, he's bled, he's been crucified, he died, he was buried, he raised again. And so uh, before he's ascended, he's just going to say a few super important things to his disciples, right? And he says this, all authority. Now listen, we gloss over this and it's so important that we don't. All authority in heaven on earth and on earth has been given to me. Folks, listen to me. Look at me. Jesus has all authority. There is nothing that Jesus does not have authority over. What he was saying to them was look, guys, it's not about the temple anymore. It's about me. It's not about the law, doesn't have all authority anymore. The Tanakh, the, the ancient scriptures, don't have all authority anymore. It's me. I have been given all authority by God. There is no one else and nothing else to bridge the gulf between you and God other than me. And Colossians 1 says, because Jesus has been given all authority, that all things were created by him and for him, that all things exist for him. And that includes you and that includes me. Jesus has all. Authority, not some, not a little, all authority. And that means that when he speaks, and I follow, I follow one who has all the authority in the universe. It's so important that we get that. And so he he says, Look, you know, I've been given all authority, and because I've been given all authority, here's my commandment to you. He says, Go therefore and make what? He didn't say make Christians. Now listen, I'm not going to suggest that we quit calling ourselves Christians and start calling ourselves disciples. That, I'm, that's not my point here. But here's what I want you to hear. You can hide behind the word Christian. You can, I mean, because Christian, Christianity gets misdefined. It gets misidentified. It's vague. I mean, you can hide behind that word, but it's a lot harder to hide behind the word. Hey, I'm an apprentice of Jesus. I'm learning from him, right? And we got to be clear about who's master and who isn't. right? So yeah, we just say, look, you know we're going to be disciples of Jesus. He said, make disciples and you do that primarily in two ways, baptizing them. Now listen, I believe the command here. it's more than just physical baptism. Baptism is a joining. So in other words, uh, in in New Testament times, a person, one of the ways they would use the word baptize is uh, somebody who worked with fabrics, for example, might have a fabric and they would dip that fabric in purple dye. And when they would pull that fabric out, it would be purple. And so they would have baptized that fabric. In other words, they were identifying that fabric with Uh, the color of the baptistry, so to speak, right? So when anyone is being baptized, they're being identified with Christ. So this is about identity. This This isn't just the act of baptism. This is about helping people identify themselves as followers of Jesus. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey what? Everything. That I've commanded not, how can he say that I mean who does he think he is I'll tell you who he thinks he is he thinks he's one who has been given all authority by God the Father right so um, this is just so impressive to me and he says make disciples not Christians in other words make people who will take following me seriously don't make pew sitters Don't make people who attend services on the weekend. Don't even make people who go to small groups through the week. I want you to make people who take being my apprentices 24-7 very, very seriously. That's the kind of people that I want you to make. So let me just ask you a question. Have you trusted Jesus as your teacher? Are you the apprentice and is he your master? Because that's the call. That's the goal of discipleship, to make disciples. And then he says something that's utterly mind-blowing at the end of this. He says this, teaching them to observe, right? And behold, I am with you always, even to the age of the earth, and even to the end of the earth. So what that means, think about this, folks. That means that right now, right here, Jesus is present in this moment, in your life, in this place, this church. Jesus is here now with us, in us, helping us, strengthening us, encouraging us, challenging us, right? Saying, a boy, you're doing good. a girl, you've got this. That's our Jesus, right? The one who's been given all authority has said to you and I, I will never leave you. I mean, as long as you're about that mission, I mean, as long as you're about making disciples, I'm never going to leave. I'm never going to leave. In other words, you don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to do this on your own. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will encourage you, right? But, but listen, you, it has to be about obeying my teaching. This is what disciples do. Disci- God says jump. Disciples ask, how high and how often would you like me to jump? This is what a disciple does. And so here's what I want to do what I want to do is just help you understand. We're just going to look at one teaching of Jesus this morning. And I want to submit to you that as we look at this one teaching, that it's going to answer two questions. First of all, it's going to answer the question, what kind of people do we want to produce at Shelbyville Community Church? In other words, what's the point of discipleship what should how are people going to know that we're disciples it's super important so in other words this might answer the question this way so the way we articulate our value of intentional discipleship right is we say hey we're going to dig deep spiritual wells through study through prayer through worship and through service and we're going to intentionally invest all those things in other people Okay, so what we're about to do is answer the question, why? What's one of the reasons why we do that? Well, there's really two reasons why. The first why we'll talk about next week, but the the answer is this. We dig deep spiritual wells through study, through prayer, through worship and service because that's where life is. Because that's where life is. And we'll look at that more next week. But the second reason that we dig deep spiritual wells, that we are intentional around here and we want to get even more intentional about discipleship is because we don't want to produce people like our world is producing. We want to produce a different kind of person. Okay, so let's look at the why Uh, again, just this last um, verse. Now, before we get into this teaching, let me just kind of say this. First of all, If the church had gotten just this one teaching right, forget the Old Testament, forget all the commandments in the epistles or the letters to the churches, forget all that. If if the church through history would have gotten this one teaching right, there would have been no civil war, there would have been no slavery, there would have been no need for a civil rights movement, There wouldn't have been a second world war and there maybe wouldn't have been a first world war if Christians had gotten this one, if they'd just taken this one thing that Jesus said seriously. Just the one thing. Here's what he said. John chapter uh, 13. Now, what's going on in John 13 is this. Lazarus has already left to betray Jesus. Jesus is sharing a last meal. He's facing the crucifixion. He knows he's facing the crucifixion. He's sharing a last meal with his little band of disciples. And uh, he's going to say some things to them that really matter because he knows that in a little while... He's going to die and he's going to be ascended and he's going to have to leave this world. So he's given them their marching orders, okay? Now, here's what's so interesting. In verse 33, look what he says. Little children, yet in a little while, for a little while I'm with you, you will seek me and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, when he says this, the disciple Peter just latches onto this. like He's like, wait. What do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean we can't come with you? Hey, we're your disciples. We go where you go. We do what you do, right? We want to we be with you. You appointed us to be with you, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, is Nathaniel going to get to go? Because if Nathaniel's going to get to go, I should get to go. You're not just trying to leave me behind on this deal, are you? I and mean, he just latches onto this. And it's all he can think about, that Jesus said he had to go away. And then Jesus begins, he just drops this amazing thing. Look what he says. He says, a new commandment I give you. Now, here's what's weird about this word new. Like uh, the word new, it can mean unique. It can mean new uh, in the sense of brand new. Like, hey, look, check out my new shirt, right? But here's what's strange is that, uh, I mean, as, as Jesus would say this, he says, here's the new command, love one another. And they're like, Jesus, that's not new. I mean, that's in the Old Testament. We've heard you teach on that before. Hey, Jesus, I'm not sure if you know this, but that's not really a new command. And so this leads me to believe that Jesus is using this in a way as to say, look, all the, all the stuff that's gone before, that's all old. This is new. These are your new marching orders. This is what you're to focus on. This is your call as as my disciples, as followers of Jesus, right? And then he says, I want you to love one another. And then he goes on to say, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is so fascinating to me. Listen, listen to what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, hey, I want you to love other people the way that you would want to be loved. No, that, the bar is way too short. If you're just loving other people the way that you want to be loved, You are not being a disciple of Jesus because Jesus raised the bar. He didn't say love other people the way you want to be loved. He said, look, guys, listen, I want you to love other people. I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. Hey, Matthew. Hey, you remember, Matthew, you remember how you were a tax collector and a trader And I called you and I invited you into our little band. You remember how the other guys hated you and they didn't want to be with you and they didn't want to hang out with you because you were a nationalist traitor? You had betrayed your country. You remember, Matthew, how I stood up for you in front of these other guys? That's the way I want you guys to love one another. Hey, Nathaniel. You remember what you said that day when your brother ran to you and he said, hey, you got to see this guy I met. I think he's the Messiah. You remember what you said about me and my family? You said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when you said that, you dissed my whole family. You dissed my whole town. And yet I still invited you to be my follower. I still invited you in. And I've shown you love. And I've taught you uh, carefully and gently. Right? I mean, you remember that, remember all the arguments you guys have had about who's the greatest and how I would just step in and just love all of you through all that? Now, at this point, uh, you know, so love one another as I've loved you. And then Jesus says something even more mind blowing. Check this out. He says, "Next, next verse, verse thirty-five. There it is. By this, by this, will all people know that you're my what? Not, not my Christians. My what? My disciples. If you love one another. Listen, listen to me." Jesus means for love to be the identifying mark for all the people in this room. Jesus means for love to be the thing that would help us stand apart from everyone else in our culture. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if you're married and you're a husband... Like, you know what I think Christian marriage should be? I think Christian marriage, and we're going to talk about this in May. We're going to do a whole series on marriage. But for now, let me just say this. Christian marriage should be a race to the back of the line. It should be a race to the back of the line. And so what Jesus is saying is, He's saying, look, if you're a husband and you're really loving your wife and you're caring for her as Christ loved the church, oh man, And if you're a wife and you're respecting and loving your husband, oh, I mean, oh my goodness, right? I mean, in other words, that love should be the thing that identifies you and I as followers of Jesus. And so when Christians do things like gossip and bicker and refuse to forgive and refuse to get along, right? What we're doing is we're standing in the way of the discipleship movement for selfishness. Because we're making it all about us. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Right? And so he said all this mind-blowing teaching, brand new deal, and then look what, what happens in the next verse. Peter says this. Simon Peter said to him, well, yeah, Lord, but... Where are you going? I mean, he's still... Listen, Jesus just is teaching this mind-blowing stuff, and Peter can't even think about that because he is so fixated on, well, yeah, Lord, it's like Peter has spiritual ADD. Right? He didn't, hear a, he didn't hear a thing Jesus said. He is so fixated on, well, yeah, Lord, but where are you going to go? I mean, am I going to get to go? I mean, are any of the other guys going to get to go? That's all that he can think about. And here's why I think this is so important. Because I think it's so easy to sit in church and hear words like this and go, well, where are we going to go for church after lunch? Where are we going? Right? What are we going to do? Like, What am I going to do with the rest of my day? And there's this mind-blowing teaching that Jesus has given us, challenging teaching that He's promised to be with us and help us through Right? Because here's what a disciple finds out really quickly. Getting back to this gap that exists right between the current you and the imagined you, a disciple finds out real quick that they can't bridge that gap on their own effort. And so when it comes to obeying this command, guess what? You're going to need all the love of Jesus you can stand in your heart, mind, and life. You know why? Because apart from Him, you won't live that out. And, you, and in fact, you know what you'll do? You'll deceive yourself. Because here's what you'll do. You'll think, because you watch TV one night and you see a Hallmark commercial and it's so touching and, and like a tear runs down and you're going to think to yourself, I am so sensitive. I, like, I am so loving. Like, I just love the whole world right now. Right? And then one of your kids is going to walk in the room and do something and you're like going to go off on them. Right? Or, you know, or your spouse is going to say something from the other side of the room and you just want to go jump up and grab them by the throat, right? Because, like, here's the point. There's no, I don't have enough love in me. See, I need the love of Jesus in me. To bridge that gap i need his love for other people i gotta love people out of his resources because i don't have the resources to love people something you may not know about me as your pastor you know what happens to me when i am chronically rushed and stressed and overwhelmed listen this is you start to get on my nerves All of you. Right? I mean, man, it's amazing how impatient I get. It's amazing how judgmental I can get when I'm just constantly rushed, stressed, overwhelmed, and I'm not yoked to my Jesus. When I'm not yoked to my Jesus, you wouldn't like me as your pastor because I don't have the resources to love you. But Jesus does. I am His disciple. I am His apprentice, and I am still learning from Him every day. And I want you to learn from Him. And so I want to ask you one more time. Are you a disciple? Or are you just a Christian? Because there's a big difference. A disciple trusts Jesus for everything. A Christian trusts Jesus for everything. For their eternity. And by the way, just to muddy the waters a little bit, if you ever, I mean, it it blows my mind how somebody can say, and I'm just going to kind of leave this hanging, okay? It blows my mind how somebody can say, hey, I've trusted Jesus for my salvation in eternity, but I will not trust Jesus with my marriage. I won't do it. That blows my mind. But that's another sermon. Right. So here's a question. Will you, will you be a disciple? A lover of people and a lover of Jesus? And will you rely on Christ and Christ alone to bridge the gap between the current you and the imagined you and quit relying on your own resources and your own efforts to do it? Because all that will result in is frustration and guilt and shame. And Jesus has better and he wants better for you.